Good to see everyone today. Special welcome to all of our guests. We love having new people with us. You're so special to us. We're so glad that God sent you to us today. So we hope that you do feel welcomed. So we are jumping into um, week one of this new series called God's Wealth. God's Wealth. We want to look at the subject. We want to dive into the ancient teachings of the Bible regarding money, possessions, and happiness. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verse 15 today, so you can turn there if you have a Bible. We have free Bibles as well, so take one and feel free to keep it. Uh, we are going to be exploring uh, Luke 12 today, uh, starting verse 15. And I think it's fair to say that as a culture, we're swimming in materialism. I think that's fair to say we're swimming in materialism. We're the, one of the most affluent, well, not one of the most, we are the most affluent culture that has ever existed. I know this is harder for newer generations to understand this, but for those of us who have been around just a little bit longer, a little bit of length of time here, it's astonishing that most people that you know have a flat screen TV. That's incredible, right? Even our homeless have smart devices or cell phones, right? Obesity is now a bigger problem for us than hunger. We are a culture of plenty and of much, but it doesn't seem to matter how much we have, we still seem to want more. The average American household has $132,000 worth of debt. That's not including a house or a car. That's school, medical, credit card debt, whatever it might be. Average household, $132,000 worth of debt. There are 2.8 billion credit cards in the world. 64% of Americans have never sought out financial advice from anyone. Only, only a third of people actually have money saved for retirement and another like 30%-ish have no future plans for saving money. We are in great trouble as it relates to how we think about money, possessions, and happiness and satisfaction. Jesus said more about this subject, about the subject of money than about prayer and faith Combined, And the reason he talked about it so much is because people have ruined their lives with how they have related to, thought about, and used money. Today, we're starting with this subject matter, uh, grow income, grow income. And then each week, we're going through this. Let's put up the slide that goes through each week. Um, we'll go through these. So we've got next week, we're looking at finding contentment. We're going to do a week on debt, manage expense, share resource, practice deliberately, invest wisely, enjoy rewards. We are doing a deep dive. This is actually going to, I think, going to be the longest series we've ever done, continuous series we've ever done, looking at the Bible's whole array of teaching around money. And boy, do we need this. Now, why in particular are we starting with the subject of grow income? Why start with that? Uh, for a few important reasons. Um, firstly, what's typical for most people is, as you get older, your income tends to increase. Not true for every person, but by and large, statistics show this, that as you get older, you come into more money. That can be through inheritance, that can be through getting you know, job uh, pay raises, getting you know, better job opportunities, things like that can happen. And we need to think about how do we handle it when money, more money comes into our lives. We need to be prepared for that and thinking about that. Because if we're not, we know that people that come into more money, it can ruin them if they're not careful about it. So we need to think about that. Secondly, there are people who are not earning enough money. That can be sometimes hard to assess uh, because we do live in a, a very, uh, a culture that loves to compare, you know, we love to compare ourselves to each other. But that is true. For some, some people do need to earn more money. And so a Christian who comes to the conclusion, I'm just not earning enough, needs to think about how can I grow my income in a godly way? Uh, the other reason that we need to think about um, growing income, what is the third reason? It left my mind. It flew away. There's actually a verse in the Bible about money sprouting wings and flying away. There's a proverb, right? <laughs> so that idea flew away. It'll come to me in a second. It's in there rattling around somewhere. I'm, at the end of this sermon, I'm going to go through four principles about how to grow income, four biblical truths and income uh, 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 teaching about growing income. But before I do that, before we get into that, so you're going to want to stay tuned. It's going to be right at the end of the sermon. We'll run through it and give, give, get the ancient teaching of, of Scripture about how do I increase my, uh, my, my income. Before we do that, though, it's, we have to absolutely lay a, a strong foundation for thinking, how do we think about money? How do we relate to money? 
what's going to be the, 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 the Bible's foundation to build upon it to then move towards how can I think about um, growing my income? The third reason that just came back to me is that um, the wealthier we, the more wealth we have, the more generous we can be. I really have a sense that God want, likes to bless people who have open hands because they'll put money in the right places. And, and there are certain people that you think those people don't, they don't need more money. They shouldn't have more because they're putting it in the wrong places. And so I, I think if we can learn the right mindset, so I, I, I can be God's steward here and put money in the right places, I've got open hands. Actually, more wealth generation means more generosity to kingdom initiatives and kingdom needs, to God's purposes. Those are all the reasons we need to look at this subject matter today. Let's pray and then let's jump into the Bible. Jesus, help us. Teach us, guide us. We need your help. As a culture, we are enslaved to money and enslaved to, our, to possessions and enslaved to these problems and these issues. Break us free. Help us to live for you. Help us to honor you with the things that you've blessed us with and teach us from your word. Help us to trust you every step of the way, even though it's scary, even though it's stressful, even though it can be so difficult and there may be ingrained habits that we have or patterns of thinking we have that aren't helpful or healthy or true. God, show us the way. Holy Spirit, show us the way to trust you, to follow you in all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Luke 12, starting in verse 15. This is talking about Jesus. And he said to them, take care, and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is God's word. So here in this section of scripture, Jesus is warning us about covetousness. Covetousness, this goes by a few different names. Of course, this is looking at other people's lives, looking at what they have and wanting it. And it can be applied to anything. Anything they have, wanting it. It goes by uh, envy, jealousy. These are all the same words that describe, or different words that describe the same thing. And this is a universal human problem. No one is free of this. No one can escape this. If you haven't done it already, you'll be doing it pretty soon because this is a universal human problem. The lie of the world is, the world will tell us, you just need a little bit more money. You just need a little bit more stuff and then you'll be happy. Just get this, then you'll be satisfied. And the lie in that, of course, we, we know it's a lie when we really think about it, but these things are more emotional than they are logical, of course. But the more we think about it, the more, if you think about your life so far and you think, you know, when I get the things that I, I, I want, how long does it actually satisfy me for? Doesn't tend, it, it, it does, because there's a, there's, a, there's a dopamine hit, right, that happens. This, this is where our, our addictions come from, right? All of our, our substance use, or whatever it might be, or, um, you know, compulsive shopping, or whatever it might be, things that we're, we're, you know, addicted to. We get a dopamine hit, and so that can be the same way when you get more money, or you get more possessions, or you get something you, you've been craving and really want. You get that, that dopamine hit in your, in your brain, and it feels good, but it doesn't last very long until you suddenly think, well, what I really now need to be happy is more of what I just had, or it's something else, but it's better and bigger than what I had before. That's the cycle that we get, we get stuck in. 
And so if we, if we find that we're placing our security and our value and how, you know, just the sense that we have about ourselves, how good we feel about ourselves, if we base that on the things we have or the money we have or the positions we hold, any of those things, if we, if we place it in those things, because those things can go up and down, because the value of those things can change, it means our sense of self-worth will go up and down. So gas goes up and down. It's going up and down. We want it to go down more, but it's going up and down. Cryptocurrency, man, that stuff really goes up and down. Quite a lot. And so to get a sense of security in who you are, to be, to be satisfied, to, to have a stable sense of your own value, you have to put your value and your hope and your identity in something that is unchanging, in something that is infinite, something that won't devalue over time. And this is what Christians have figured out. This is the greatest thing we have. This is what we figured out. It's what we found out from the Bible, found out, found out from the teachings of Jesus, that if you, if you put your hope in God, well, the value of that never goes down. It just gets better and better and better all the time. So you might go through, you might still have disappointments and things, setbacks and hardships in life that you have to you know, face and cope with. And of course, you still have the ups and downs of life, but because your, your security is in God, you weather all those things. You say, well, it doesn't, it doesn't really determine how I feel about myself. So Jesus says here in this passage, be on guard. You gotta be on guard. So you think about a secure building. You know, you gotta guard, you gotta put guards on the front doors or guards on every entrance you could get in. You gotta guard it. You gotta put somebody there because you have to be proactive about this one because covetousness is sneaky. It's a really sneaky sin. Other sins, if, if, you're, not, if you're not on guard, if you're not actually posting guards of your own heart to, to ward off covetousness, it's not like other sins. You know, nobody says, oh, I didn't realize I was taking money out of the cash register and stuffing it in my pockets. You know, I mean, someone might try and claim that, but no one's going to believe them. You know, that's most of our, a lot of sin is deliberate. We know we're doing it. You know, we justify it, whatever. We, it, it's obvious. But a sin like covetousness is invisible to everyone else. It's a private sin and it sneaks up on you. We don't even realize we're doing it until after the fact because it's a feeling you have. You see somebody else, you see what they have and it can be literally anything and, then, and you're, you find yourself desiring it, wanting it, pursuing it. I, st I saw a study a few years back that said that Instagram is the, is the, is the, has the highest um, it produces the greatest amount of envy out of all social media platforms. Now, they're all bad, they're all toxic and terrible, so get off them if you can. But, but Instagram, actually Snapchat might be the worst, but, uh, or TikTok, I don't know, they're all bad. But Instagram apparently produces the most amount of envy, I think because it's so visually focused, because everyone on there is trying to curate their life, they're trying to get the right filter, get the right shot, get the right thing, and get it just right and posting it to everyone else. And then everyone else that sees that then is basically like, well, my life's not that good. So I obviously suck all the time. It produces envy because we're all curating our lives to look the best it can be. And it's kind of a fraud and it kind of produces bad things in us and other people. And as Christians, we can fall into this temptation that we're given permission by God to ask for things we need, but we can fall into the temptation that we're asking God for things all the time in, and in, instead of being grateful for the things we already have. If we need something, God says, ask for it. Hey, if you need something, ask for it. God's a, a generous father, wants to help us, ask for it. But we can be in this place of always asking for things and forgetting what God has given us. Let me share a, a true story with you. Um, a lady, her name was uh, Karen Papineau, and she uh, lives, lives in Brooklyn, New York, and she was a small business owner for about 20 years. And uh, the, after 20 years of living in Brooklyn and running this business, um, she, she began to, to become really enraged at the, the culture around her, the society around her. She felt like everyone around her was earning more money 
They were more affluent. It was just, you know, the, the, the level of wealth around it was just the place was just transforming over two decades. And just seeing the place she was at and the place everyone else was at and just, just really resenting that and struggling with that and just feeling like society had failed her. And so she wrote uh, an op-ed, actually, wrote an article that was published by the Huffington Post that told her story. And the things, the, 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 the pressures that she faced in, in this changing environment. And then the New York Times picked it up and wrote the, uh, an article about it. Not an op-ed this time, an article. And talked about, it was framed as a story of inequality, of, of how terrible it is that people are being left behind in, in this economy and, and these different things. And a lot of people had sympathy for it. You know, on the surface, you're reading like, oh, this is terrible, this poor lady. And what's going on here? And she talked about how she was forced to steal food from her local grocery store and um, because of, because of the, uh, the challenge, you know, the hardships of living in this place and, and the expense of it. But if you dig into the story a bit and people started pointing this out, it didn't take long for people to point out what was going on in this story. You start looking at the story and you start realizing, wait a second, some things don't add up about this. This woman lives in the hottest neighborhood in the world. I mean, talking about, we're talking about covetousness today, right? A lot of people, that, that's a sort Brooklyn is a sought-after place to live. Lots of people would love to live there because that's where all the action is. That's where some cool stuff is happening, right? So, so that's going on. She could have moved 20 minutes from her current apartment and gotten way cheaper rent. She was a, a successful business owner. And, I mean, on top of all that, you, you know, you've got to think to yourself, well, she lives in the freest society in all of history with the, you know, the, the lowest levels of, of poverty, and disease that you've ever had in history. You know, she's got some good things going on for her. And also the things that she stole, they were luxury items, like fancy spices and coconut oil. This was not a story of, of, of inequality. This is a story of covetousness. And as a culture, we're blind. We're so blind, we can be so blind, so controlled by what we think is right and wrong based on what other people have and what we have. We can struggle with it. And when we covet what other people have, what we're telling God is we're telling God, you haven't done enough. You haven't given me enough. You're inadequate for my desires and my needs. And so Jesus knows this is a universal human problem, so he gives us a parable. There's the, the genius of Jesus who has given us these amazing parables that like drove the Pharisees at the time crazy, but that's why they were so good in part because he drove the religious people crazy. Anytime you see a really religious people getting you know, really mad about something, you know something good's going on because that's, that's what God, he just frustrates those, those plans of people. So anyway, in this parable, Jesus tells of this rich man, the guy's already rich. He's already painted as a rich man. And then his land produces Plentifully, He has an amazing crop. Something happened that year. I don't know if he's using miracle Grow, the crop, the, 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 you know, the rains came, something happened, he worked harder. Who knows what happened? He produces, his, his land produces more than he had before. And some people have a, a bit of a notion, some Christians can have this notion, other people can have this notion, that having more or even just money itself can be inherently evil. There's something wrong with having more, something evil about money itself. And this is a misconception. Jesus is painting actually, at, at the start here, there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong that this guy is rich. And there's nothing wrong that, that his wealth produced even more wealth. This is the way of life sometimes. Some people's livelihood and what some people have will outpace others. That's kind of the way it works at times. God has blessed, you know, blessed his land and his land produced. Now, some of the misconception about, about having more and being wealthy it, uh, comes actually, in large part, it comes, for, especially for Christians, from a misquotation from the Bible. So there's this passage in uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, that's often misquoted. Let me tell you, here's what... It says, it says, uh, for the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This is commonly misquoted. People, maybe you've heard it quoted like this, that uh, money is the root of all evil. Have you heard it that way? Money is the root of all evil. That's misquoted in two ways. It says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it's not the root of all evil, it's kinds of evil. So it doesn't mean all of it. It just means some evil comes from the love of money, not just money. It's the love of money. We should not be people who, we shouldn't love money, but we shouldn't hate it either. 
If you want more money for an orphanage, that's great. That's great. Last week we did our hot dog fundraiser, right? We were trying to raise as much money as we could. That's great. These are great reasons. God provides us money if we need it, right? We don't want to think that's bad. Oh, God gave me money. Money's evil. No, no, no. Sometimes you need some money. Whether you work hard for it, you get it. You get it as a gift from somebody. You buy a lottery ticket and win it. Don't do that. But what, however you get the money, you find the money, however you get the money, you can be thankful for God. Hey, God, you know, he's provided for my needs. This is amazing. The issue is with the motive. What's the motive of the heart? The issue is how does the heart respond to the money? How does, it's not having money, it's handling money that is the issue. Jesus tells us that money has incredible influence over our hearts. So, we didn't read it actually, going back to our main passage in Luke 12, a little bit later on in verse 34, Jesus very famously says this. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You've probably heard this before. Very famous teaching from Jesus, very closely tied to the parable that we're, we're uh, teaching from today. It works like this. We know the first way that this works, that whatever you love, that's where you spend your money. So if you were to print out your bank statements or your credit card statements or your, keep your, a copy of your, all your receipts and you were to sit down with somebody, they could figure out what you love most. This is true for all of us. Our receipts don't lie. Our bank statements don't lie. You could figure out. You just, you just obviously, you've, you know, we've all got our main expenses, our roof over our heads, food, you know, on our table, like clothes. You know, there's some basic stuff we all need. Um, different levels, of, you know, we don't need all of the clothes though. You know, we need some, but not all of them. Uh, we don't need to live in all of the places, but we need to live in a place, you know. Uh, all the, we don't need all the foods, like all the coconut oil. You know, we need some, you know, something. Um, so, so there are those things, uh, but uh, beyond that, we, 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 we see that our hearts go to, you know, beyond that, we, we, we're spending money on things that are our passions. So where your treasures are, your heart will be like, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm, I treasure these things, therefore I spend my money on them. But it also works in another way. When Jesus says, where your treasures are, your heart will be, it's an amazing biblical principle. Where you move your money, wherever you put it, your heart follows it. The affections of your heart get tied to wherever your money is. It's an amazing idea. And may I suggest that if we're putting our money in things that are detrimental to us, things that affect our mental health, affect our spiritual health, affect our physical health, we're going to be pretty unhappy because our hearts are connected to that. Some of us, if we're distant from God or struggling with our relationship from God, consider this. Is it because you're not putting your money, your possessions your treasures, you're not really putting those things in God's kingdom. And if you were to move those things into God's kingdom more, then your heart affections will go towards it more. You actually find you enjoy God more and you have a stronger faith and all of those wonderful things. Think about it like this. So it can be easy to pick on people who frivolously spend money or you know, they, they, they've always got the Amazon app open and it's just easy to swipe, right? That's like, I tell you, those guys, they... Whew, They've hacked our brains. They figured out how can they just make you know, one-click purchases. It's just, it's, it's terrible. We're just, anyway. Jeff Bezos, man, I don't know. It's just, it's, anyway, all right. So, so it's easy to pick on that, right? And some of us are stuck in that. Some of us have been stuck in that. Some of us might get stuck in it again. It can be easy to get caught up with, with, with impulsive things like that and putting our treasure in things. But also it can go like this. You might be a, a penny pincher. You might be really frugal and a good saver. And you can be putting away lots of money, just storing it up in your bank account. And you can have the other problem on the other end of this where you look at it and you feel safe and secure and really smart and a bit smug and a bit better than all those stupid Amazon swipers. And then the principle is true as well. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So my treasure is here in the bank account. That's where my heart is. My heart, I've stockpiled money and my heart's affections, are, that's where my security is. Instead, here's the key difference because obviously you want to save. There's, you, know, you have to spend money on certain things. You need to save on certain things as well. Of course, there's, the, you know, the, there's a balance here with all these things. But the, the, the test is, do I have a reason? Do I have a purpose for stockpiling money? And if I don't have a clear purpose for this, I'm just putting it away because I feel smart and, and clever and safe and secure. I've fallen into the same trap on this side as people on the other side fell into. 
I've fallen into the same trap. It's just the other end of it. Because my, that's where my affection is going. That's where my heart is going. So how do we guard against covetousness? First thing is we've got to know the signs of covetousness. Got eight signs here that we can look at from this passage. Eight signs of covetousness. This is the first way that we guard ourselves here. We'll look at this. The first one is this, is that we lack purpose. So how do we see it from this guy in this parable? Well, the first thing he says, his land produces plentifully. What does he say? He thought to himself, you know, what shall I do? And he, even just the fact that he, he doesn't know what to do with this extra money is an indication that he's not living with a purpose. See, but a believer who's clear on their purpose, somebody who's given their heart to God, they're following God's purposes and they, they know I'm living for God's kingdom. I'm trying to maximize my life for God's kingdom. They know if they come into extra, I already know what I'm going to do with it. I already got a plan for it because I know because... Or at least, if I don't, it's not specifically clear, I know what I should be doing. I know how I should be seeking to use it. That's the first one, is a lack of purpose. If I don't have purpose with my money, or my, just in my life in general, that can be a sign, one of the signs that, oh, I'm, 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 I'm somebody who's dealing with covetousness. I want more for its own sake. The second sign of covetousness is this, is a lack of gratitude. So what's absent here from this parable is, this guy doesn't thank, he, there's no gratitude, there's no, no thankfulness. I mean, he could at least thank the universe or something. I mean, that bothers me when people do that because the universe is a cold, dark place that does not care about you. <laughs> As Christians, hey, there is a universe that God's made, but it's not God. The universe is not God. God's separate from the universe, above the universe, holds the universe together. He could at least thank somebody, no gratitude whatsoever. That's, that's a clear sign of covetousness is we lack gratitude. We're not thankful for the things we have, no matter how small they are. We don't give thanks. We don't praise God for them. The third sign of covetousness is confusing stewardship and ownership. I'm going to dig into this more in just a minute here, but it's confusing these two things, that I'm, I'm a steward of things. I'm not actually an owner of anything. And you see it here. It's so stark once you notice it. The guy's language, Jesus paints a picture of this guy so well because it says, when he responds, what he thinks to himself, he says, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops. So he's confusing stewardship and ownership. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, I mean, this guy doesn't understand. Nothing belongs to him. Even his soul doesn't belong to him. Everything is made by God for God. That's the, a big sign of covetousness right there. If we find ourselves falling into that, this belongs to me, I can't share it, can't give it, can't loan it, can't lend it. It's a sign I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with covetousness. The fourth sign is this, is that we trust in wealth. We put our trust in wealth. They all came up at once, didn't they? It's all right, given, that's all right. It's like a test when you get given the answers, that's okay. Trusting in wealth. So what does he say here? He says, I can relax. I've got all this stuff. I can relax. That's a sign of covetousness because he's saying, well, now, now I, don't have to, I don't have to worry anymore. It's like, oh no, there's, there's plenty in life to worry about whether or not you've got lots of money or not. All kinds of stuff to keep worrying about. That, that is fool. I mean, God calls him a fool. It's a foolish way to think. So my, 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 I'm not gonna trust in my wealth. I'm gonna trust in, in God. The next sign of covetousness is hoarding. So what does he do? I'm going, to, I'm going to store all my goods in my barns. I'm just going to hold on to it all. Just going to, I can't get rid of anything. Can't recycle, can't reuse, can't give it away. Number six is turning, things, turning two things for happiness. So what does he say in these verses? He says, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. That's what I'm going to do. I've got extra. That's what it's for, right? I'm going to use it to get things that are going to give me more pleasure. I'm just going to seek more pleasure out of my things. And... The nuance here is that God does bless us with good things in life to enjoy for His glory. Again, it's the motive behind it. That, 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 that I mean, There are specific expressions of it, some of which, you know, can we be generous with it? Can we let it go? All those kind of things. But the motive behind that, can I actually uh, not, hoard, not hoard things and, and also not turn to things just for their happiness or their pleasure? Increasing standards of living. So what does this guy do? He, he, once he thinks about it for a little bit, it doesn't take long. He's like, I'm going to tear down my buildings and build something bigger. 
I'm going to expand. I'm going to get, you know, so I can keep all the stuff I've got and maybe get some more cool stuff. I'm just going to keep increasing my standard of living. And this is a real challenge for uh, those of us in the West, American Christians. It's a real challenge for us as we get more and our, our off, honestly, some of our first impulses, well, I, I need to expand. I've got to expand my life. I've got to add stuff. I've got to get more. And the eighth one here doesn't appear in this passage, um, but I, meant, I throw it in here, uh, debt, because it's very clearly talked about in other parts of Scripture, and we've got a whole week, uh, in a couple of weeks, talking about debt. So if you're somebody who deals with debt, we're going to be going through the Bible's teaching on how to think about debt, how to get rid of debt, and how to avoid debt. But I add it here because the more debt we have, I think it's a clear sign we're struggling with covetousness. Of course, you can, you know, some people can have medical debt, of, not of their own fault. Of course, there can be things like that. But if it's consumer debt, credit card debt especially, then we're doing something wrong. We're doing something wrong. This man's identity is wrapped up in his money and his possessions. The second thing that we can do to be on guard against covetousness is to understand the reasons. Understand the reason for covetousness. So it comes back to this idea of ownership. This is a foundational building block to how we live our lives, how we relate to money and possessions, is understanding ownership. And in verse 20, Jesus puts it like this. He says, uh, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? This is amazingly illustrated uh, by Stephen King, the famous author Stephen King, not a follower of Jesus, but he uh, wrote this. He says, a couple of years ago, I found out uh, what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in a ditch on the side of a, a country road, covered with mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg poking out the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. Let's keep going here. Uh, we all know life is fleeting. But on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett going out broke. Bill Gates going out broke. Tom Hanks going out broke. Steve King broke, not carrying a dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. It's still going to be a quarter past eight whether you tell time on a, on a Timex or a Rolex. No matter how large your bank account, no matter how many credit cards you have, Sooner or later, things will begin to go wrong with the only three things you have that you can really call your own, your body, your spirit, and your mind. Now, he's wrong about that. They're still God's, but. So, you want, uh, so I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why, this guy doesn't even believe in Jesus and he's getting it better than, gosh, come on, all right. And why not? All you have uh, is on loan anyway. And that lasts, uh, sorry, excuse me. All that lasts is what you pass on. We have the power to help, the power to change. And why should we refuse? Because we're going to take it with us, please. Giving is a way of taking the focus off the money we make and putting it back where it belongs, on the lives we lead, the families we raise, and the communities that nurture us. He figured something out. Doesn't, doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't read the Bible, but so all truth is God's truth. So this happens to people, right? As you live in the real world, reality hits you. And because God is the author of reality, you discover things without, you don't actually have to, it's better to read it in the Bible. And obviously, ultimately you do want to do that, but you discover in creation that I don't own anything. Nothing is mine. Even my body is on loan by God. It's, it's, it's crumbling away. And the older you get, the more you realize it's crumbling away. Nothing is mine. Until we realize that everything belongs to God, everything is in God's hand, until we, real, we realize that, we'll be ruled by money and possessions. Now, we've got to get that home. We've got to go deep with that. That's our biggest challenge, I think, as, as, as people in our context, as believers today. That's our biggest challenge. Is it all, it's all God's possessions. I'm a steward. I'm a manager. I am not an owner. I don't get to decide what happens with God's money. It's his money, so I'm, I'm going to lean on him to decide what he wants me to do with his money. That's one side of it. Now, some Christians can take this. There's another extreme on this. Let me just mention it quickly, where you can have a poverty mindset, 
where you can look at money like, again, like it's an evil thing and you want to get rid of all your money. And I've actually known, I actually have known Christians who have intentionally impoverished themselves, intentionally, because they thought it was more spiritual, more holy somehow, or money's corrupting, possessions are corrupting. I just wanna say, it's, I don't think that's what the Bible wants us to do. I think that's what God wants us to do. If we, if we do that, we're becoming a burden to others. We're becoming a burden to others. How can, we, how can we practice the heart of God and be generous and give and pour out to others if we have intentionally impoverished ourselves? This is the kind of foolish thinking that we can have. We go one way with it, where it's like, I need more money, more possessions, more stuff, but that's how I'm gonna get my happiness. Or we go the other way with it and say, I'm gonna just live a holy life and just have nothing. And no, these, these are foolish ways of thinking. Money is morally neutral. Money is not good or evil. It's the heart. It depends on the heart receiving the money. It's not what you, how you, it's not, it's not if you have it, it's how you handle it. The trap we fall into is if it comes to me, then it must be for me. If it comes to me, it must be for me. But a maturing Christian understands if it comes to me, it's because God sees me as a steward. Or I can say, well, okay, God, what do you, what do you want me to do with your money? This is exciting. I get to be a part of, of resourcing the things in this world that you, you know, your kingdom agenda, what you wanna do. Verse 21 spells this out so clearly, what Jesus, how Jesus ends this little section here. He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is the purpose of getting extra. This is the purpose. Now, if you're not earning enough, you're not, but you can't manage your actual genuine living expenses, then God provides needs. Beyond providing needs, God provides excess for this reason so that we can be rich toward God. We can be rich towards God. And that brings me to my third point of how do we guard ourselves against covetousness. Third point is this, is that we, we increase generosity. I'm not gonna get too deep into this one today because we're going to expound this out in a couple more weeks uh, as we go through this. But um, we see... We see in the Bible a couple of ways that we're generous towards God, that we're rich towards God. One way is that we give to Christian ministry. That's the first and foundational way. And the big reason for that, ministry is about all kinds of, you know, churches and ministries do all kinds of different things. But the biggest thing, the most important thing that we do is, is that we have a message for the world. And so as we give to ministry, we're funding the extension of that message that more people might come in and hear the good news of Jesus. That's because people sometimes get stuck on, well, I don't want my money to be wasted. Oh, how is the church using money? And those are good questions and we wanna be transparent about all of that. But the primary fundamental thing that our generosity goes towards in ministry is the word getting out because the greatest need that every person has is their soul being made right with God. That's why we give. That's how we're rich towards God. Then the second way that the Bible is very clear about that we're rich towards God is that we give towards people's practical needs. And that can happen through ministry at times. So like we have big partners, right, with, with Chicago Land Prison Outreach, right? So we do stuff through our ministry, but it doesn't have to be that way. It can be that if we see a need in somebody because we're Christians, we just respond to that need. And one of the dangers is that we think we always need a program to do that or the church has to organize something or some people have to do something. It's like, you do something. Jesus has gifted you and blessed you and called you. Just get some people together and take care of it. Sometimes we, we lean on that side of it, not realizing, oh, if I see a need, I can, I can, what could I do to solve that, that need and be a blessing in that? That's what we're to do as Christians. It's powerful. That's how we're gen those are the two ways, towards ministry and towards those in need. That's how, we, that's how God defines our generosity towards Him. Because if we understand, right, God doesn't need money, right? That's why some people are skeptical, like, why does God need your money? It's like, well, He doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts and our hearts are tied to our money and He can use our money to bless other people. So that's why we give in that way. I'm gonna pause there because I don't wanna to get too much into the giving thing. We're gonna tackle that in, a, in, a, in a, a future week. But let me end here. I said I was gonna share four principles of increasing income. Now that we've laid this foundation, now that we've really tackled the issue of covetousness and how we should think about money, now let's talk about how do we think about if our income increases? How do we think about if we need to earn more money? And how do we think about um, being more generous with our wealth? Four principles of growing income. I'm doing this with three, but there's four. I can't count. <laughs> 
First one is what we mentioned is, um, they're going to come up here, is being generous. So Luke 6, 38 is give and it will be given to you. Now, be very clear on this. We're not into a, pres- a prosperity gospel, right? So the prosperity gospel is a twisting of a really wonderful truth in the Bible is that God does bless the good things we do, but he does it in all kinds of ways. So as we generous with our finances, here's the tricky thing is there, there might be times where if you're generous with your finances, God might bless you financially in, in di- various ways. And that can be expressed in different ways. So the twisting of in the prosperity gospel is that you, know, you give $10, God gives you $100, right? You give $100, God gives you $1,000, right? You're giving jewelry away, you keep getting more jewelry, whatever it might be. Um, it's so childish and silly when you really think about it and peel back the layers. Um, but uh, but his, it's counterintuitive But if you want to earn more money, you need to have a generous heart. This is spelled out for us. Even even into eternity, if we want more eternal rewards, we do more good works here. The more good good works we do here, the more eternal rewards we get in heaven. If you want to increase your income, you've got to have a generous heart. It's counterintuitive. There's so many testimonies over the years I've heard of people saying, when I started giving, when I started being generous, when I started doing that, I got a... God gave me, blessed me with a new job or I got a pay raise or something happened. There was provision for something. It's amazing how it works out. The second way is uh, that we have to work hard. We have to work hard. Now I'm gonna tell you these four things, they're not rocket science. They're very simple things, but we have to work hard. Proverbs 10 verse four says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Are you working hard enough? There's lots of distractions in our day and age, lots of excuses some, some people are working hard. Some people need to make sure they're resting properly. But it's worth asking the question, are you lazy? Are you lazy? Do you make excuses? Do the people around you resent you because they have to pick up the slack for you? And here's what I know is the, the kind of people that tend to get new job opportunities or tend to get the promotion or tend to get the pay raise are the people who are generous and work hard. Third thing is skills, so getting more skills. Proverbs 22 verse 29 says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. What's the point of this? The point of this is that wealthy people, people with prominence and influence who wanna do important things and big things in the world, they're looking for skilled people, people who have unique talents. And you don't have to be some exceptionally gifted person or something, you actually, in today's, world in our market today, you actually have to have a combination of what's called, sometimes what's called a talent stack, where you have a few unique things that, or a few things that make you unique. And, but any question you can ask, you say, how can I become more skillful at something? Because there's always somebody out there that's looking for somebody with that skill. And if you offer value with the skills that you have, you'll be paid more money. It's so simple, but do we forget this? I would say our generation, this, this generation has really been lied to about um, the kind of skills and knowledge that they need. So, you know, not everyone needs to go to a four-year college. Not everyone needs to go to university. There's plenty of trade schools out there, plenty of other opportunities and other pathways to follow of good, honest, hardworking and jobs that pay well as well. Skills, what kind of, get skills that can earn more money. So we're gonna be generous, we're gonna work hard, we're gonna improve our skills. And the fourth one is to ask. James 4, uh, uh, two through three says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So a couple of things here. First of all, we've gotta be asking God, but guess what? Again, God won't answer those prayers if our motives are wrong. I don't think God wants to release more money to us if we're not gonna be responsible with it. So ask yourself the question, if I need, if I actually I'm not earning enough or I'm trying to move forward in it, but I've been stuck, is, it, is God holding me back because my motives aren't right? It's worth looking inside, asking that question, taking a, a heart check on that. So do I need to adjust my mindset, adjust my attitude, live with an open hand more, trust God for his provision and all that. The other way we can ask is to ask our employer. Now, if you're self-employed, this is easy. You can just ask yourself. Obviously, the company has to be, be making enough money to get a pay uh, increase. But if you're employed by somebody else, uh, learning how to ask for a pay increase is an important skill. So let me just share a couple of thoughts on this real quick 
to help? Because I think some people struggle with this and aren't sure about this. Maybe they feel like they shouldn't do this or, well, won't God just provide? And of course we ask, we trust God. But you know what? It's good to ask for a pay increase. Can I get an amen on that? Anyone want to give me an amen on that? Anyone agree with that? I think it's good to ask. Let me just say this. I'm going to share my experience of doing this and give, offer it to you as an example to follow, perhaps, if you like it. Um, you can't do this if you're not generously hearted, working hard, and got skills, and um, you know how to ask well. If you're not adding value to your company, do not ask for a pay increase. If you don't have a good relationship with your boss, do not ask for a pay increase. You first make those adjustments. First say, I've got to become an excellent employee, trustworthy, dependable, fulfilling my responsibilities, do that consistently, and then I have leverage. Then I have the ability to sit down with, with my manager, my boss, whoever's in charge of me, and have a conversation about actually increasing my earnings. All right, and here's, here's, here's one way I did. I worked uh, years ago at a marketing agency in Kansas City, and I'd been there for a year. I'd worked hard. I'd won favor. God blessed me there. Won favor there. And my annual review came out. First review, sat down with the finance guy. It was the first time I ever met him. Never seen him before. Never heard of him before. He was the finance guy. I sat down with him, and he said, "Hey, you know, you got a good review. We're just going to bump you up to the next s- slot on the sliding scale of salary." And is that okay? Is that good? You know, great job, keep going, that kind of thing. And I said, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. I love it. I love working here. It's a great environment. And I uh, really see a future, future for myself here at the company. And then I proceeded. And I prayed about this. I had talked to mentors about this. And I had planned this. And so I, w- I went in with a bit, of an, a bit of a plan in my mind. And I said, hey, look, thanks so much for this. It honestly means so much. I, I, and this is what I said to the guy. I said, I promised myself coming into this meeting that I was going to do everything I could to work towards my financial goals. I have a goal of what I want to be earning and I wanted to talk to you about that goal and talk about why that, I want that to matter to the company as well as to me. And so I, I don't want to appear ungrateful because I thank you so much. I'm so happy with what you've offered. But I, you know, I've got some financial goals, looking to, you know, I was recently married, looking to have a, start a family, buy a house hopefully, all these different things. And as I prosper, like, I think I can help the company prosper more. And as the company prospers more, I think I can prosper more. And, and so I see those two things as tied together. Can you do anything else? Is there anything else you can do to help me get me closer to my goal? Now, I never told him my goal. But I said, is there anything else you can get me closer to my goal? And he instantly said, I'll just put you straight up to the top scale of what you can be earning at your, at your level, your position. I, was, I thought to myself, well, that was easy. <laughs> like, that was, he just instantly folded and just said, yeah, I'll give you that. So, but here's the thing is, that amount still wasn't my goal. <laughs> so I said, thank you so much. That is amazing. That is so generous. I can't believe you just instantly, was, I was surprised it, it was so easy. Like, that's amazing. Thank you. And I said, look, I, 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 I'm nervous to do this. But I promise, like I told you, I promised myself coming in here, I've got this, this goal and I, I really see a future for myself here with the company. And um, you, you have to honestly mean that if you're going to say that. If you can't imagine a future for yourself or the company, then, then even just imagine it a little bit. Just imagine it a little bit. Um, <laughs> I said, hey, look, is there anything else you could do? Is there anything else I can work towards to, to get even a little bit closer uh, to it? And he sat back in his chair and he put his finger over his mouth and he's thinking... And I'm thinking, oh man, I screwed up. Like, I should not have done this. This feels wrong. What am I doing? And he says, you know what? He's let me check on something. Comes back five minutes later, and I'm sweating. I'm sweating, <laughs> thinking, like, he's going to come back and be like, you're fired. You know, you're the most ungrateful employee we've ever had. Um, come, comes back and he says, look, because I, I was in the low level, you know, I'd just been there for a year in the lowest level. I wasn't a manager or anything like that. And he said, there's a bonus structure for the managers. And he said, we wouldn't normally do this, but we can add you to this bonus structure, but it's based on your performance. So if you perform really well over the year, you'll get a bonus like all the other managers, even though you're not technically a manager. And he said, is that okay? Is that enough? (laughs) Which I thought was amazing that now he's asking me, you know, what do I say now? He's asking me the question. So don't worry. I said, thank you so much. That is incredible that you do that for me. And I'm thrilled, shook his hand. He was smiling. He was super happy about it. The guy was like super happy about it. Now, the only danger in me sharing these things is that people who work for me may may now try and use these tactics against me. So um, I share it because I think if you've got the right heart and the right attitude, you've got a heart to be rich towards God, 
to do kingdom work, why not ask for more? Why not ask God, bless me, help me meet my needs, but also help me be as generous as I can be to give and to give and to give and to bless those who need it. What, if, you, if that's your heart, if, if you're in that place, why would God not wanna bless that and not wanna help you and help us with that? Now, here's another warning. Studies show the more your income increases, the less generous you become uh, based on percentage. So you might earn more and your giving amount might increase, but your percentage often decreases. The re- so the cool thing about this, it's bad obviously, but the cool thing about it is that people who earn lower amounts of money are the most generous. That's kind of cool actually. I think that's the case because people understand how important it is to give to those in need because they feel the need more. The more you have, the more tempted you are to control it and hold on to it and feel like it's yours. But I think a Christian with the right heart, I think Christians buck this trend though. So I think the more that we earn, I think the more generous we can learn to be. Um, A guy like Rick Warren, if you know Rick Warren, very well-known pastor, he's a reverse tither. He lives off of 10% and gives away 90%. Anyone wanna set that as a goal? Personal goal, five-year goal? That'd be cool. Man, this... What does the Bible teach us about about this? Proverbs 30, Proverbs 30, verses eight and nine says this. This is a prayer. It says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. Now, this this isn't saying this is what we should have. This is a prayer that's reflecting the wisdom of understanding the temptation of having little, too little, where I'm tempted to steal or the temptation of having too much where I'm tempted to not trust God anymore. As Christians, if you can break both of those things, you can live in poverty or live in abundance and be content. We'll be talking about that this more next week. Don't miss next week. We're gonna be getting into how to be content in all these things. The The true solution for us to break the control of money and to learn to be generous and to learn to actually think about growing our wealth and growing our income for God's purposes, the true solution to this is to know where our greatest wealth comes from, that we are God's treasure and that He is our treasure and that He he paid the greatest price on the cross to save us, to sacrifice Himself for us, to, to love us eternally in Jesus. It's only through the death and resurrection of Jesus, only through that great sacrifice on the cross that we find our greatest treasure. That's the thing that can never change. We wanna sing about this treasure, sing about what Jesus has done for us. We wanna turn our hearts towards this joyful outpouring of generosity that God has done for us through the cross. That is the key. I know we've gone through some practical things. We've gone through some big things about covetousness and some big things about thinking about how to ask for a pay increase. We've gone through some of these practical things today, but the big, all of that stuff doesn't matter if you don't know how much God loves you and what he's done for you by sending his son for you. When you like and subscribe, this video reaches more people. 